um, did a sermon series, and um, I found the sermon online where he, the, where the first time he preached this message before he wrote the book, and it was absolutely profound, and I really believe it's going to set up where we're headed for the next 10 weeks in a beautiful way, much better than I could. And it'll just be cool as you go through this book to put a face to a name like, oh, that's the guy. That's how he tells stories as I read through it. So uh, please buckle up for the next 35 minutes as we dive into this book. And this is the way it's supposed to work in Psalm 23. And this is just coming out of my heart. So just bear with me because uh, this message has been brewing for about four days. That's all. And uh, I need some more time with it. But I think it's good enough to get us where we need to get to tonight as it stands. And in Psalm 23, we see a, a, an amazing promise from that same son of God who stretched his arm for us. That same son of God who came out of the depths for us. And this is what that son of God says to you and says to me today. He says, if you'll let me, I'll be your shepherd. Would you like me to be your shepherd? And so here, here's this parenthetical for another day, another talk. Everybody has a shepherd. So there's nobody on planet Earth created in the image of Almighty God, created to be a dependent creature to an all-sufficient and almighty God. There's nobody created like that who doesn't have a shepherd. Now, your shepherd might be you, so you might be your shepherd, so you can say, no, I'm my shepherd. And that's awesome. That's a, that's a choice. Everybody has that. Um, your thing, your drug, your whatever it could be your shepherd. Your career could be your shepherd. Uh, some, some idol you've placed up in your life could be your shepherd. Some other person could be leading you around through life. But everybody has a shepherd. And in the midst of all of that, he says, I would like to be your shepherd. And David got that. David understood that, and David now is telling us what it's like to have that, and this is what he says. He, and I know you know the text in Psalm 23, but I don't care. Can we just read it anyway? Because it's still amazing, even though you already know it. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, let's just say those words, my shepherd, when we get there. The Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. Now, who's your shepherd? See, this isn't like, the Lord's my shepherd, and you don't have one. It's like, my shepherd, the Lord. Who's your shepherd? Because everybody's got somebody leading and guiding them through life. But he says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Another translation says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Really? Really? I lack nothing. Well, why, how can you say that? My shepherd. My shepherd is so amazing that I lack nothing. Now, this is, this is powerful and revolutionary. So there are a few things he does. And I'll just, it's, a, it's not really the message, but it's worth noting that he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. So what is this shepherd going to do? He's going to make me do some things. Okay, that's a problem already for a lot of us. You're like, no, he's not, because nobody makes me do anything. Okay, well, then you're going to have to pick another shepherd, because this shepherd makes people do things. You're like, well, why would, why would I want a God who made me do things? Well, um, because the God who makes you do things has scars in his wrist and his feet and his side, and he knows what's best for you, and the God who knows what's best for you is so smart and so much smarter than you that at times he's going to have to make you do things. Now, all the parents in the room get that already, but we still, even all the parents in the room don't want God making you do things. 
even though you mentally understand why. But this shepherd, number one thing, so this isn't like a feel-good psalm. He, he, the first thing should have been, he, he soothes me. You know? No, first thing, he makes me. But it gets, it's, it, it, that's better, that's better, but it even gets better. He makes me, he leads me, he restores me. Would you like to be made and led and restored? I, I think most of us would. And he guides me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he makes me, he leads me, he restores me, he guides me. I'm telling you already a revival is, is percolating in somebody's heart because you need to be made, you need to be led, you desperately need to be restored. And you're, you're just dying to have some guidance in your life. And, and all of that is available to you right in front of us right now in the person of Jesus Christ who wants to be our shepherd. Totally on his terms, but always for our benefit. And so the psalmist goes on. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you're with me. And here come the operative words again. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Now, comfort there isn't a hug. Comfort there is, is, is confidence that God's defending me. He's got a rod and he's got a staff. And you know what? He's defending me. So I can be, I can be comforted in the fact that I don't have to have a rod and a staff because my shepherd's got one. So that comforts me that he defends me. He defends me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What does that mean? He provides for me. He anoints my head with oil. What does that mean? He blesses me with what I need to fulfill the purposes that he's called me to do. And then it says, surely, well, my cup runneth over. So that's the result of all this is that I got extra. So I'm not living in, in lack and living in, in want and living in less. I'm actually got enough for me and everybody else. Because I have a shepherd. A great shepherd who's leading me, who, who makes me, who leads me, who restores me, who guides me, who protects me, who provides for me, who anoints me. And then it concludes and says, and surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Well, that's not two adjectives coming down the road. It's not characters dressed up like goodness and one's dressed up like love. And look, goodness and love are coming down behind me. I'm goodness and I'm love. No, who's goodness? He's goodness. Who's love? He's love. So who's following me? He's following me. He leads me and he's following me. He makes me. He leads me. He restores me. He guides me. He protects me. He provides for me. He anoints me and he follows me all the days of my life. And at the end, I... I move into the house of the Lord forever. Wow. Now, now, why is it again I don't want him to be my shepherd? And every person who's ever preached this passage, it says, because sheep are the, some of the dumbest animals on planet earth. They're nice and fluffy and they look good from a distance. They stink up close. And they're just not the brightest lot. And so God says, this is a good metaphor for you, Louie. You look great from about 40 feet, but Shelly, tell him the truth. He really does have like an odor when you get like right up in there with him. And every now and then it's like, what were you thinking? And man, you extrapolate that over a lifetime and you've got a soul that is in such turmoil and unrest that... A whole industry selling us Xanax and Ambien 
and whatever other antidepressants we're taking. And if you're too afraid to go to the doctor, you can just have a, a glass of red wine or two at the end of the night and hope that will settle things down enough and keep you asleep long enough to get into the next day's rhythm of what it feels like to have a soul that's tied up in a knot. And the shepherd said, there's, a, there's something that can be done about that. See, the seventh day is the day of Sabbath rest. That's the day we're in right now. The day that somebody in this place is going to come to the realization that God's running the universe. I know that sounds like a simple statement of truth, but it, it, when it becomes a revelation for you tonight, you're going to find that your soul is going to start making a major adjustment towards Sabbath rest. Not towards taking time off or a day off, but towards a posture of believing in the power and sufficiency of God to run your life, your marriage, your kids, your business, your finances, your future, and everything else about you. The psalmist said, our shepherd, it says down in verse five, prepares a table before us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So there's something powerful today for us to discover the place of revival most likely is in the middle of the battle that we're facing right now. That the place of revival in our lives most likely is in the middle of the battle we're in, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're in the furnace. Everybody knows the story. And you know, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he's got as hot as it'll go. They drop these guys down into the fiery furnace. And, uh, and the, as the king comes and looks in, he says, didn't we put three guys in? I see four guys. There's a fourth person walking among these God-honoring men in the middle of the fire. Now, that's, a, that's not, the, the, our story would be different than that. They, the king dropped them in, into the fire and God immediately arrived on the scene, plucked his eyes out and threw them in the fire and grabbed the three guys and snatched them out of the fire. That's revival. And we were in the fire, Jesus showed up, bam, he snatched us right out of there. Those big old gloves you put on, you know, and you've got a bonfire going at the house, you know, and he reached down in there and grabbed us out and said, here, you guys come out of here. And he pushed Nebuchadnezzar into the fire. No, he just went in the fire. I said, Yo, you want to have revival? Let's remember the, the three guys in the fire revival. You remember that one? And Jesus is in there and they're having revival. I guarantee you they were having revival. And Nebuchadnezzar looked in there and he said, I don't know what's going on here, but I know we put three guys in and I see four guys. <laughs> and finally, when he figured out what was going on, he went to the door at the bottom of this fiery furnace and he yelled in there to them and he said, hey guys, get out of there. Did you know God never got them out of the fiery furnace? No, he came in there and had a revival with them. And then the king that put him in there is the one that got him out. That, that, that's how revival works. <laughs> and so I know that maybe you're thinking, I, I see where you're going and I don't love it. 
And if it's possible that you could change this talk in the next minute or two towards the place of revival is that God gets you out of the fire and out of the trial and out of the difficulty and out of the garbage dump and out of the dark place and he just snatches you out of there and puts you over in the wonderland of revival. I'd love you to preach that for the next couple of minutes like as hard as you've ever preached before. And God does deliver us. He's a deliverer, but he mostly delivers us in stuff before he delivers us out of stuff. Because it's in the, in the stuff where he delivers us that something really powerful happens to us, but something beautiful happens, and I'll save that to the end. Now, I'm, I'm running out of time already, and this message is better seen than heard. So let me just give us a couple of practical things about what this looks like. I'm sorry if you stayed in line a long time to sit up front. Um, <laughs> but come back tomorrow. It's a worship night. So what happens is he says, now I don't even know these people. Do I know any of you? Have I met you before? I feel like I'm going to do an illusion right now. I don't know these people. So you're not my enemies. Okay. You're not my enemies. No one in here is my enemy that I'm aware of, but I'm, I'm making you my enemies for a moment. Okay. So I'm surrounded by enemies. And surrounded by whatever it is, Jesus says, I want to be your shepherd and I've prepared for you a table in the presence of your enemies. And the table has two chairs, one for your shepherd and one for you. Now, if you're really into that whole, I, you know, Jesus is calling thing, that's great. You can move your chair over here. That's cool. It's fine. And I didn't mean that to be, to sound derogatory. This seems just kind of like, Hello, son. How are you? (laughs) But in the presence of your enemies, Jesus has prepared a table before you. Now, why is that good news? It's good news because we're living in a battle. And if it's not cancer, if it's not divorce, if it's not that your spouse has gone crazy... If it's not that your kids are who knows where, if it's not that something's gone down at work that's putting a lot of stress on you, if it's not that your finances got sideways or upside down and you're not sleeping at all at night about that, if it's not that you think you're going crazy, if you maybe feel like you're psychotic, if you're losing it on the inside, if it's none of that, there's a spiritual battle going on around every one of us, light versus dark, and guess what? We're in light and there's a whole lot of friction going on around us in the world. And that's why it's good news that the Lord prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. But here's the thing. Your shepherd, and I'm not, please know, I'm not belittling your enemies. Our, fa- our family right now currently is facing humanly incurable cancer. I shared an event last night where two ladies were there that both of their college-age daughters went to heaven in the same crash just a few months ago, along with two other of their friends, four young Jesus-following college students went to heaven in a moment. I'm not belittling your enemies. I'm helping you understand that Jesus has prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies, particularly your adversary. Because what does 1 Peter 5 say? It says the devil prowls 
around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And he's always around. The table is always set, but he's always around. He's looking for a crack or a crevice, just a crack or a crevice. That's all he needs. He's like, hey, how y'all doing? How y'all doing? How y'all doing? The crack or the crevice could be your character. It could be a real life experience. It could be a door that you opened. It could be the, the opinion of a friend. And he's like, how you doing? She's driving me crazy, isn't she? She's driving me crazy. I don't know if she's driving you crazy or not. I don't even know if y'all are together. I hope you are. But you may not be together forever. And listen, here's the thing. You know, I don't know how you live with him. Guy's impossible. He's absolutely impossible. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. He never puts you first. He doesn't care about you. We got to get rid of this guy. He's probably thinking about getting rid of you. I think you should get rid of him before he has the chance to get rid of you. You better watch your back, bro. (laughs) He's always prowling. And he's looking for... beautiful thing is I wasn't sitting on a seat that entire time. I don't know how that worked, but thank you for not letting me hit the floor. He's just looking for a little cracker crevice that he can come in and that he can start wreaking havoc in your life. And it's one thing for him to prowl around, but I tell you the craziest thing about him is if you don't watch it, he'll just pull up a chair. Hey, you mind if I sit down? How's it going? You mind if I have some water? What's up? And just like that, you or me let a killer sit down at our table. It says the, the shepherd prepares a table before you. Before you. Not before you and for him. Before you in the presence of your enemies. And before you know it, he, he's at your table and he's eating your food. And he started talking to you. Oh yeah, he talks with food in his mouth. And he says, let me pour you something to drink. And then he starts talking. He said, well, Louis, how would I know if he was at my table? Well, he primarily says things in three groups. Group number one. Here's what he's going to say to you. Hey, listen. You're never going to make it through this. Let me look around. No chance. If you've ever heard or you're hearing right now, you're not going to make it. It's not going to change. It's not going to be different. It will ne- you'll never have freedom. 
Don't get your hopes up again. I don't care if it's night seven or night 77. Don't buy into it again. It's not gonna change. You're not gonna survive it. And you're not gonna make it through this, frankly. If you hear that, you know you've given the devil a seat at your table. The second major group of things he says, second major group of things, so you know how would I know if he's at my table or not? Second major group of things, you aren't good enough. You've never been good enough. You're not strong enough. You don't deserve this. You're not worthy of this. You're an insignificant person and you don't matter in life, honestly. And as soon as you hear that, you know you've given him a seat at your table. If you've heard today or are hearing right now, you're not good enough. The enemy is sitting at your table. A third group of things that he, you know, I'm, I'm just giving you groups. You can put your own little phrases in there. The, the third major area of things he's saying to you and me at the table, he's saying, everybody is against you. Do I need to go on? You know, no one at work likes you. You know, all the people at your school, no, no one likes you. Everyone tolerates you. You know, everybody's out to get you. Everyone is out to get you. Did you notice when you came into work today that Larry didn't even look up from his laptop? He's out to get you. He hates you. No, come on. And then you hear that, and so you walk into work the next day, and, and, and sure enough, Larry doesn't even look up from his laptop. And you're like, oh my word, it's true. He does hate me. I think the whole that whole department hates me. They look at him all right now, hating me. They all hate me. And once he can convince us that everybody's against us, everybody's out to get us, the whole world's against us, nobody's for us, everybody's trying to get to us or take from us, as soon as he convinces us of that, we shift into an uber-defensive posture in life, and we start thinking things that aren't true about people, and we start projecting onto people the rejection that we think we're getting from people, and it might be, hello, newsflash, that Larry was just working on a spreadsheet. You're like, no, Louis, there, there really is someone at my workout to get me. And that could be true. They're, they're telling your supervisor things that aren't true. They're, they're jipping you and your opportunity by lying about you behind your back. They got the promotion because they told someone something that wasn't true. And if that's the case, that, that, that's not something that you just take lightly. You're going to watch God do his thing in your life, but you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it by getting in a war with that person and saying, well, I'm going to start telling some people some stuff about them so that they're going to get a little bit of their own medicine. That's not what you do when your shepherd prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. What you do, what do you do then? Well, you sit down and you lock eyes with your shepherd and you say, thank you for providing for me everything I need mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically in the middle of the fight of whatever fight. Thank you. You have provided for me every single thing that I need. And you say to the enemy, here's the power, right? You say to the enemy, you don't have a seat at my table. 
in a very difficult place. Um, a little bit of a fiery furnace for me a few years ago. I was texting a friend who, who, knew, who I knew I could trust. And I was venting a little bit to that friend about what was happening. And I was telling my story. And the friend, you know, sometimes you just want a friend to get into your story with you. You just want him to come back and say, yeah, I'm telling you, I get it. Well, I got your back, bro. And I got back a one sentence text after a, I can't text. So I mean, it takes me like 30 minutes to write a text and then to correct all the things that are not spelled right in it. And then to find my glasses and to look at it again and see if that really is what I wanted because I'm too proud to make the text size bigger. And after this whole thing of, well, blah, 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 and I guess that shows whatever, whatever, and now we really know what's going on, and boom, I'm just proving my point. I got a one-sentence text back, Stephen. And you know what it said? It just like stopped everything in its tracks. It said, don't give the devil a seat at your table. And I, I love that person, but man, I hated that text because what, what the text was saying was the only way you can lose your peace is if you let the devil sit down and eat your food and start talking to you at your table that your shepherd prepared before you in the presence of your enemies. And I'm, I'm just saying to all of us tonight, don't. Give the enemy a seat at your table. The Lord prepared this table before you, and you get to decide who sits at your table. And I would recommend, I would recommend that you keep it a very small group. Two would be wonderful. And if you have God-fearing and spirit-filled friends, then you can invite them to the table, but not as primary seat holders and stakeholders just people who can reinforce what you're hearing from the shepherd. You say, well, what, what is it that he prepared for us? Is it fruit and vegetables and the Daniel diet? I mean, what, what, what do we get at, you know, at, at, the, at the table? The, the provision is him. Because see, you would think this scripture would read, he prepares a table before me. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that was a real life threat to David. That wasn't a metaphor. That was, I really do go through a valley where you really can lose your life. And when I do that, I don't fear evil because my shepherd is with me. And you can extrapolate that into every other area of life. But here's the thing. You would have, think he has said, you have thought he would have said, I'm going to prepare. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to prepare a table before you in the presence of God. He said, no, I'm going to bring the presence of God to the table in the presence of your enemies. I'm going to prepare a table in the presence of your enemies. So I've got my enemies, but I've also got my shepherd. <laughs> And he is a good shepherd. The, the scripture says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10, 10. But I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Next sentence. A lot of people can't keep going quite so boldly. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. That's why you know if you're hearing you're not going to make it, that ain't coming from the shepherd. 
If you're hearing you're not good enough, that's not coming from the shepherd who laid down his life for you. If you're hearing everybody's against you, that's not coming from a shepherd who says, I am for you. So it's probably not true. You're probably paranoid and that's why you think everybody's against you because you've, you've got the spirit of paranoia sitting at your table. But even if everybody was against you, look who's sitting with you. Look who's sitting with you. Look who's sitting with you. Okay, so give me just one little second here. Just give me a little second here, and we're going to land this thing. So what's the provision, Louis? It's him. It's the provision. What else? His word is the provision. So this is awesome. I really do want to eat that strawberry. I don't have time to chew it up and swallow it, honestly. But his word is the provision. That's what he said. I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And the provision at the table is the will of God. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So the table is him and his word and his will. It's Jesus and his word and his will. So I say, Thank you, Jesus, that you're with me in the presence of whatever this opposition, this fight, this pressure, this darkness. Thank you that you're with me in this trial, in this fire, in this garbage dump that you prepared a table for me. Thank you for your word, which informs me. And thank you for your will. And so I say, in the fire, Father, What's your will today? What do you want me to do in the fire today? Not get me out of the fire. What do you want me to do in the fight today? In the fire today, what do you want me to do? And then, and I'll just close with this. Here, here's the thing that's, that's so powerful. So why does he prepare the table in the presence of the enemies? Why does he work like that? You know, Elisha told the king, what his enemies were doing. And so his enemies said, we're taking Elijah, Elisha out. And they marched down to Dothan and surrounded him. And his servant woke him up and said, trouble. We're surrounded. <laughs> he said, yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. He said, open his eyes and let him see. And he went, hello. We are in fact surrounded by angel armies. So listen to this. Maybe your enemies surrounded you, but God's angels are surrounding your enemies. Okay. That's the table. <laughs> That's the table. You know how that story ended though? Uh, the army came and Elijah, Elijah didn't say, my goodness, I got to get out of here or kill him on the way. He said, make him blind. And they came in blind and they didn't know where to go. And so he, he rode with him, Stephen, and he said, come this way. You're looking for a guy, aren't you? Come this way. I know where he is. And he led him right into the middle of town. And then he said, let him see. And then when they opened their eyes, they were surrounded. And the king said, should we kill him? He said, no, let's give him a huge feast and a lot to drink and let's send him home. My cup runs over. 
And so all of a sudden I realized I don't have to get in a defensive fighting posture. Now, he anointed my head with oil. Would you like some vegetables? Thank you. Have some celery. Have some cucumbers. I've got, I got a whole table full of stuff. You like these? I don't even know what those are. Have some of that. Here, you've been looking at the cupcakes. Have a cupcake. They're, they're amazing. My cup runs over. Therefore, he said to them, no, give them a big feast. Give them something to drink and send them back. And they did. They ate and they drank and they went back. And here's what the text says. It says, and the armies ceased striving against Israel. That's what the table and the presence of the enemies does. It says, excuse me, it says, number one, this is God. I want y'all all to watch me sustain and strengthen and lead my son, my daughter, through this valley. And I want all y'all to watch me sustain, strengthen, and provide, protect, and guide my child. And I want you to watch it. You thought you were taking them down. No, I'm going to watch you. I want you to watch me lead them through. You thought you were going to take them out. No, I want you to watch me keep them in. You thought you were going to do away with it. all. I want you to watch me bring them through. And that's the way of God. So just one last little turn and we'll finish. Because I, I, love, I love the stories of God. They came to Jehoshaphat. They're coming. Three armies. Join one army. What are we going to do? He said, I don't know. Spirit of God came on a man. The man started to speak. God is going to protect you, provide for you, defend you. He's going to be a shepherd to you. And Jehoshaphat believed it. And he said, I believe it. So we bowed down. We worship. We thank God. We said, God is good for us. God is enough for us. There are armies coming. But hey, you know what? We're going to walk right out there. We're going to walk right out there into the battle. And we're going to put the worship team out front. That was a big shocker for the worship team who never dreamed they were going to be in the front of the army. They thought, thank goodness we're not in the army. We need a worship team. Thank you very much. And boy, they sing such an intense song. They sing such a threatening song. They sing such an aggressive, violent, kingdom-bringing song. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. And the scout came back to the enemies and said, what are they saying? They're saying, give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. That's a table song. That's a table song. That's a song that says, I, I know you're out there. I know you're real. I, I'm, I get it. But man, give thanks to the Lord. His love. His love for me. And his love in and through me endures forever. And when those armies collided against themselves, and when they all died on the battlefield from a song, not a sword, not, not their swords anyway. All of the kingdoms feared God. The reason the table is in the middle of the enemies is not so that you can get through alone. It's so that God can get glory in the middle of the fight in the middle of the fight. And we're saying, God, give
get me out of the furnace. And he's going, no, get me into the furnace (laughs) and watch me sustain you, guide you, restore you, anoint you, protect you, provide for you, follow you and make you into everything I wanted you to be. Not in the absence of a fight, not in the absence of the pressure, not in the absence of difficulty, but right smack in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. The place of revival is the place we're in right now. So we say, come on, Lord Jesus, and open our eyes to see the table that's prepared for us. Open our eyes, Lord, to see the armies around us and to see what you have before us. We thank you and we trust you, Jesus. You are a good shepherd. And we want to be your sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows for surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come on. So we're going to go on a journey. You excited about the journey? And, uh, and God's going to use, you, use it in a powerful way. And so, Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for our community. I thank you for the way that you're leading us. You're leading us individually, but, God, you're leading us corporately. And so, Father, I want to pray a blessing on each of these groups this Wednesday. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to prioritize this journey that you have us on. God, I thank you for the way that we sharpen one another. Lord, the way that our stories and our faith and God, our joy is just infectious as we get to fellowship and love on each other. And we give you praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.